Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Let's uh, begin by sharing in God's Word this morning from John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. What a great uh, promise and command from God's word. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's sing this old hymn together. What a friend we have in Jesus as we begin our time together. Sing with me this morning. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to
with us today. We do want to welcome all of our guests that are with us and thank you for being with us. There's a care card located in the pew rack there in front of you. If you're a guest, please fill in that information. Uh, we'd at least like to send you something from Pitts Baptist and thank you for being with us. Uh, you can place that in the uh, boxes on the round tables as you leave this morning. Also on the back of the care card is a place to fill in prayer requests. Uh, we as a staff want to know what you're, uh, you're going through as our church family and so that's for everyone. Take a moment to fill those in and we'll make sure they get to the right people and be praying for you uh, over those needs. But again, thank you for being with us today in worship. A couple of things I do want to mention on announcements is we have a Teen Valley Ranch family weekend coming up very soon. Today is actually the deadline to get that deposit in. Uh, and it's not just for families with young children. If you have youth, uh, we, we've had in the past senior adult couples go. Uh, there's all kinds of activities, horseback riding, uh, that we break out sessions for all age groups, and they have one of the great, uh, greatest places to get coffee and snacks up there and play games and just all kinds of things. It's, it's one of the coziest places and camps that we attend, and so I want to encourage you to get some information on that. It is at the back desk as you leave and get signed up for that. It's on March 18th through the 20th, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and they would love to have you go and be a part of that and get to know your church family better. better. Also, don't forget, uh, we do have a special called uh, church conference next Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. Uh, it's a very important meeting uh, to discuss uh, selling some of our property across the street. and we, So we'll have a time of discussion and then also time to answer any questions you might have. And at that meeting, we will actually take a vote uh, on those decisions. The land committee will be here, land steering committee to present that. And so we want to encourage all of you to be here and be a part of that. It will affect uh, the future of our church uh, in some very important ways. So we want you to be here to hear that and to know what's happening uh, in progress with the land across the street. So again, next Sunday at 5 o'clock right here in this uh, building, in this room, we'll have that meeting. So please make a note of that and, and be here for that. If you've not gotten your uh, 2022 offering envelopes too, please go by the table. As you go out, it's at the back right of the lobby. 
and make sure you pick those up um, this week if you can. Those are the announcements. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to ask you just to take a moment to uh, get silent before God this morning, and then I'll pray out loud. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, we do thank you for the way that you bless us each and every day, God, allowing us to even get up this morning and come and be a part of your family that meets here at this building. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for Pitts Baptist Church and what it means to us uh, as a, an extended family. God, we do pray for this service today that you would be honored and glorified through it. God, I know you've given Pastor uh, Scott a, a message that he has studied and looked at and we pray you just help him God to um, say the words that you'd have him to say to speak through his mouth to our hearts God that you'd use him your servant this morning in a very important way God we do pray for our church as we make decisions in the next days God that you would give the leaders of our church wisdom that it would not be about any man's agenda but God that you would lead us and guide us and show us what it is we're to do God, be with those churches who are meeting right now all over our country and world, God. Just use them, that the gospel would be spread even today, God. And if there's someone even in this room that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that maybe today would be the day that they make that decision and come to know you as personal Lord and Savior. Give us a great day today to worship you. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Would you stand?
be seated. Amen. Good morning. Uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 12 as we continue this morning in our series on a character study. I spoke last week about the beauty of character studies, how Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians that everything we read about the saints of old is for our benefit, for our instruction. We're able to see how God worked in their lives and because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, we see principles of how he continues to work in us today. So uh, I love to do character studies in the Bible and and we began on uh, Abraham last week. We'll continue that today, looking at Abraham, a model of faith. And today we're going to look at the subject matter, faltering faith. Faltering faith from Genesis 12, verses 10 to 20. Now, before we turn there and read, I do need to uh, make a couple of announcements. I know that Pastor Seeger did not know this before he came in the building because... Uh, somebody just stuck it in my hand at the last minute as I was walking in over here. Uh, those who are spearheading the Teen Valley Ranch Family Conference, they said, please announce, Scott, we have extended the deadline uh, through February the 27th. So today is not the deadline, the 27th, two weeks from today. You know, we talk about our young people going to camp and Snowbird, but I think when I hear families going to camp together, everybody loves Teen Valley. And uh, just the kind of atmosphere, it is there. And, and one thing you normally don't hear coming back from a camp, you know, at camp people come back and say the food, you know, yuck, kind of bad. But everybody comes back from Teen Valley and they're like, oh my goodness, the food. So it must be like being on a cruise or something with the food. So uh, anyway, the, the information on Teen Valley is in the lobby today. And, and as was pointed out in the announcement, it's for everybody, regardless of your age. Uh, also, let me speak a word about the, the conference coming up uh, next Sunday night. As many of you are well aware, when we bought the... 35 acres across the church and then recently an additional two acres so if we sold it there could be two entrances over there which would be more attractive to potential developers uh, when we bought that we had to buy it as a chunk we didn't need 35 plus acres we knew that uh, we wanted across the road the footprint footprint of property about what we have on this side of the road which is 12 acres. We are maintaining that. We are hanging on to a footprint over there of about 12 acres. So next Sunday night is speaking about selling the rest of it off. And uh, we've got an offer. I think the congregation is going to be more than pleased by. It will, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but it'll not only allow us to pay off all of the church debt, but would even allow us to do any type of phase one development of our 12 acres across the road debt-free even. So 
a very attractive offer uh, for the church, and we will be hearing from the Land Steering Committee uh, next Sunday night on that, and we want to invite you to, uh, to come out and be a part of that discussion and vote. Would you find Genesis chapter 12, if you've not already, and stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll begin reading in verse 10. Again, the subject matter, faltering faith. One more thing real quick. Pray for Angela Nixon. Her mother, Nancy Love, passed away on Thursday. So pray for that family. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to reside there as an alien. For the famine was so severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know well that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the officials of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female slaves, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and be gone. And Pharaoh gave his men orders concerning him, and they set, them, set him on the way with his wife and all that he had. Father, speak to us this morning through the power of your Spirit. All I can do is speak to ears. But God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to minds and hearts today. And Lord, help us to understand that life will be filled with trials and points of testing. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. And if we falter, Lord, we praise you that you're the God of the second chance. Lord, may the testimony of our life, the overall testimony of our life, be one of faithfulness to you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You know, I think it's worth at the beginning today reading again where we started last week. Back in verse 1. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. You know, we hear those words, and, and we think what an extraordinary faith 
this man Abram had. I mean, he leaves behind all of his conveniences, all of his securities. Uh, He leaves behind the land that he knew, his father's household. And and folks, as one Old Testament scholar, uh, Dr. James Allman out of Dallas Theological Seminary said, uh, he said, you got to realize when he leaves his father's house, he's also leaving behind all securities in the sense of protection. Because in ancient times, who would have been your police force? Your family. And and that's why in the Old Testament we see when there was a murder, the family could take vengeance against the one who had killed their loved one. And, And they set up cities of refuge that the killer could run to until the whole matter had been settled out Uh, if it had been an accidental killing. But it was your family who was part of your security network. And so when the Bible says Abram left his father's household, uh, I mean he is literally putting himself out there in a very vulnerable position in a foreign land. He steps out on nothing more than what John Calvin called the naked word of God. That's all he possessed at this point. But that was enough. Amen? Now what makes it even more remarkable is he apparently didn't even know the whole journey of where he was to go when he started. And then when he did arrive, he was not the one to take immediate possession of the land. His entire life involved waiting. And while he was waiting on God's promise, he was a sojourner. He built altars wherever he landed down in what would be the promised land. He was a sojourner and he built altars. Uh, altars and he became a worshiper of the true and the living God. Folks, what a wonderful testimony this man Abram is to us. And his life is a reminder to us that we are just pilgrims passing through. We are, we are sojourners. And while we are sojourners, we are to be worshipers. I want you to have that uh, image of both a tent and an altar in your mind. Keep those images in your mind. Uh, you know, we don't live in tents nowadays. At least most people don't. But, but let the image of a tent, for example, be a reminder to you that you are just passing through this world. A tent is temporary. A tent is a structure that is, is subject to the storms of life. And, and that's why Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5.1, even compares our earthly body to a tent. That one of these days, the tent pegs of this life are going to be uprooted and, and, and this tent is going to collapse in death we are temporary sojourners here we are fragile and as James says life is a vapor it is here today and gone tomorrow and also we don't go out in our yard and build altars but let the image of an altar be an image in your mind that you are a worshiper you are to worship almighty God 
And not only are we pilgrims and worshipers, but folks, we are also witnesses. Uh, When it says in verse 5 that we looked at last week that persons went with Abram, uh, it means that Abram in the land of Haran had begun to proclaim the name of the Lord and and there were people that started believing his testimony and so when God called him to leave Haran and go on down into the promised land they wanted to get in on it with Abram they wanted to go with him and witness what God was doing in his life we read in the Bible about a man like Abram and folks we just we marvel We marvel and his faith humbles us and oftentimes puts us to shame. You know, we might expect that he would arrive in the promised land to to blue skies. You know, the proverbial blue skies. We expect a storybook ending, don't we? We would expect to read at this point that Abram and Sarai went down to the promised land and they lived happily ever after. But folks, I want you to notice that the text says he almost immediately met up with a severe famine in the land. He didn't get blue skies or the best of times. He is immediately tested. And you know, this episode is a remarkable foreshadowing of Israel later on. The parallels are striking. Remember, there's a famine in the land under Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis, beginning of of Exodus. There's been a famine in the land. There's affliction at the hands of the Egyptians. And then there is God's plagues on the Egyptians. The Egyptians will send Abram away as they will later send Israel away. And when Abram leaves, he leaves wealthy just as Israel will later leave with gifts from the Egyptians having essentially plundered the Egyptians. There's remarkable parallels that we see between Abram here and Israel later on. Folks, I want you to see today, though, how God deals with his children when our faith falters. You know, Paul said in Philippians 1.6, he said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Regardless of Abram experiencing this famine and going down to Egypt, what is it that we see? We see that God is going to complete his work in Abram. He's begun a good work in Abram and he has not let Abram go. Even though Abram's external circumstances at this point may not be ideal with the famine in the land, God has not let go of this man. God is still working in his life. And it's a testimony to you and I that if you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you may be going through tough times and sometimes you may say, where's God in all this? Be assured God is present and he's at work in your life. 
Now the first thing I want you to see with me this morning is the fact that faith will be tested. Verse 10 begins, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to reside there as an alien. For the famine was severe in the land. Now how long exactly after passing through the land uh, that Abram started seeing the effects of this famine? We're not told exactly. We get the impression that probably not a great deal of time has elapsed. But what's striking is that right away it appears that Abram is thrown into vice grip, so to speak. And again, it's not how we would have written the script. We would have had the peaceful home with the white picket fence, two, uh, two children and a dog, right? That's how we would have written the script. But Abram is exposed to suffering. He's being tested. Folks, your life as a believer will be tested. Perhaps you've discovered that even after high times in your walk with God, those, those moments that just elevate your heart, those times that are a joy to you and you feel like you've grown so close to God and you're on a mountain peak have you ever noticed that oftentimes right after a scenario like that you are met with a test I've noticed that in my life maybe maybe you told your family about your newfound faith in Jesus Christ and you thought your family was going to be elated they were going to be so happy and joyful and maybe I'm speaking to somebody perhaps that instead your family was very angry. I've told you before about my experience. When I was 19 years old and a student, student at UNCC and, and God called me to preach and I came home and told my parents that God had, I knew that God had called me to preach. Boy, my mom was so joyful she was on a mountaintop but my dad hit the ceiling. And he went to our home preacher and he said, I'm telling you right now, you better talk him out of it. And for about two or three years, he was so opposed to a child of his going into the ministry. And he wasn't going to help me with a lot of my schooling. I was going to have to find ways to get it done. It was about three or four years probably before he came around and started supporting me in all of it. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody who's had a similar type experience in your life. Maybe a young person, you went home and told your parents, God's calling you to missions, you know, an overseas mission field. And your parents said, oh no, no child of mine's going to go overseas to a foreign nation. And you have found resistance. It happens. You can be tested right after God calls you to something new. And that's what happened with Abram. Maybe you took on a new job, new challenge, thinking you would walk in and everything would be great. And instead you found the challenge that it is. You're being tested. Turn with me over to James chapter 1 a moment. James chapter 1, you know the text well. James chapter 1 beginning in verse 2. What, what does James write there? He says, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind... 
consider it nothing but joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. James didn't say and consider the test uh, a time of joy or the trial a time of joy just because you love going through hard times. But rather it's a time of joy because you know that in and through that test or that trial... God is going to be at work in and through you. He's going to be strengthening you and maturing you and growing your character and growing your hope. That's what God does with us in the midst of hardships. He grows us. I dare say chances are it's been through your hardships in life that you have grown the most and your, your faith has grown the most and you've learned the most about following Christ. It's probably not been on the mountain peaks. It's been down in those valleys, some of those valleys that can be low and dark and have many dangers. It's there that you and I tend to to learn the most about what it means to follow Christ. That's where we grow. <clears throat> but do we always have the response of, hey, this is an occasion of joy? <laughs> no, probably in the middle of it, we're complaining. Look at how Abraham responded. Did, did he just kind of sit tight and wait things out? No, I want you to see a second point here. When tested, beware of simply looking for an easy solution. Look at, look at what he did in verse 10. So Abram went down to Egypt to reside there as an alien for the famine was severe in the land. What does Abram do? He flees. Abram is tested and he runs. Abram has shocked and surprised us with his faith that's recorded there at the beginning of the chapter. His faith seems so strong that it could move mountains. And yet, in verse 10, look at how he responds to one of his first trials. He runs down to Egypt. Now folks, the food supply was generally good in Egypt. Because of the steady flow of the Nile River. And then how in its flood stages it would deposit silt and minerals and settlement out into the surrounding fields around the Nile River. And, and, and so Egypt was normally a safe place to go in times like this. But, but here's a man who trusted God enough to leave his father's house and go to a new land. And yet, ironically, he evidently, at first at least, did not trust that God could take care of him in this new land. And so again, he runs down to Egypt. You know, folks, nine out of ten times in the Bible... When the Bible talks about somebody going down to Egypt, it was not a good thing. 
Now, yes, God said he'd call his son out of Egypt. His son was first Israel and then Jesus. He called Israel out of Egypt. He called Jesus out of Egypt. When Joseph was told to go back to Israel because everybody who was out to kill Jesus was now dead. And so God called them out of Egypt. But you know, most of the time in the Bible when, when you hear people running down to Egypt and Israel running down to Egypt, it was not a good thing. But you know, that's just like us, isn't it? A lot of times we look for a quick and easy way out. We look for a shortcut. And what do we do? We come up with some kind of plan of our own. And that's precisely what we see Abram doing. The father of the faithful is doing a very faithless thing. He's running. Now he's not turning his back on God. We know that in his mind what he was doing was temporary. If he was turning his back on God, he would have probably gone all the way back to Ur of the Chaldeans. So he's not denying God. He's not forsaking God. What he's doing though is doubting God. He's not trusting God the way he should have. He did the natural thing though. And in this instance, that's the problem. There is no evidence in the text that the man who built altars and called on the name of the Lord ever called on God in this particular scenario. He appears to just come up with his own strategy. He's like us. Again, we look for a quick fix to the tough times that we're in. And, and we may even launch ahead without even praying about something. We just make a knee-jerk reaction. By the way, Abram's not the only one in Scripture to have done this. I think of, of the book of Ruth and Ruth chapter 1. Listen to what Ruth chapter 1 says. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was a. a Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion uh, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah now they entered the land of Moab and they remained there then Elimelech Naomi's husband died and she was left with her two sons and they took for themselves Moabite women as wives the name of the one was Orpha and the name of the other Ruth and they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. What they do in a time of famine? Elimelech looked out over the fields in Bethlehem. And those fields were dry and barren. You know, when we were in Bethlehem from high places, they told you to... To, to look eastward and, and as far as you could see on the horizon, they said over in that area, that's the land, what was the land of Moab. And that must be what Elimelech did. He's, he's in, there in Bethlehem and everything's dry and barren and he's looking way out over there and he sees green fields. And so he takes his family over to Moab. 
And without a doubt, he only meant to be there a short while. This was going to be a temporary sojourn. But it, it, it didn't stay temporary with Elimelech. He settled down in Moab. He never made it back. In fact, none of the men in his family ever made it back. They all died in Moab. His sons even married Moabite women. One married a girl named Orpha, which means deer or fawn. Uh, maybe she was athletic. Maybe she was the track star in the 100 meter for Moab High School. Uh, the other married Ruth. Ruth means beauty or personality. Maybe she was the head cheerleader at Moab High School. And, and so here's one boy, Malon, which means unhealthy, and his brother Chilion, which means puny. And somehow or another, they've married, they've married the track star and the head cheerleader. But they all die in Moab. A temporary plan of their own turned into a lifestyle. They never made it back. They don't ever seem to have consulted God either. Folks, I have a hunch that every time we panic and come up with a plan of our own, it's probably because we've not waited on God and bathed the situation in prayer. It may surprise us to see that this is even what Abram seems to be doing. Has he forgotten how great God is? Has he so soon forgotten? Again, he's not denying God. It just seems like he's not really remembering this great God that he has pledged to follow. He's done just like us. He's gone into survival mode. Am I describing somebody here this morning, right now? Maybe you're in trials in your life and you've just kind of hunkered down in survival mode. And you're coming up with quick fixes and plans of your own. And, and you've, you're, you're not even waiting on God. You're not even seeking His face. You're not even praying about the trial that you're going through. Maybe you've already come up in your mind with some, some things you're going to do. Oh, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do... And, and you've not prayed about any of it. Folks, we can be hard on Abram, but what we see Abram doing here, we've got to admit, is what so oftentimes we do. Let's be honest. Now, third thing I want you to see. When tested, resist desperate measures verse 11 says when he was about to enter Egypt he said to his wife I know well that you are a woman beautiful in appearance and when the Egyptians see you they will say this is his wife and then they will kill me but they'll let you live say you're my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared on your account these verses record Abram's deception. Not only has he run, but now he's also scheming. Now Sarai must have been quite a looker. She's 65 years old. Abram is 75. She's 65. Abram is worried that when they get down to Egypt, his wife is so beautiful that the Egyptians will kill him. So they can take her. 
to-be wife, one of their wives. As it ends up, they told Pharaoh about her, of course. Now, you might just think Sarai is a knockout to her husband. You know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. But it's more than that. She's really a knockout. Now, we know this because when the Egyptians see her, what do they do? They run and tell Pharaoh how beautiful this woman is. Now, here's one of the most powerful leaders in the world at that time. A a, a Pharaoh in Egypt. He could have taken any woman in the land that he wanted. And his princes and servants thought Sarai was worth pointing out to him. To him, So she must have been a stunningly beautiful woman to have gotten that kind of attention. Also, one of the documents in the Dead Sea Scroll discovery, the, the Genesis Apocryphon, speaks of Sarai's beauty. Apparently her beauty was legendary. Now one writer just kind of making a tongue-in-cheek cheek type statement said you know keep in mind she's not had any children at this point and ladies children age you don't they (laughs) boy especially when they become teenagers they they put some gray hair in your head so Abram concocts a scheme tell them you're my sister sounds reasonable right after all there's a half half truth in that she's his half sister Never mind that she is his wife. But he's scheming. He's buying some time. Now a woman back then when another man wanted to marry her would negotiate with the girl's father. If you were a suitor, you would treat the dad of your potential bride very good. And if the father was absent, you would negotiate with the woman's brother and you would treat the brother very good. So this is Abram's plan. Again, he's buying himself some time. Instead of running the risk of being killed, which would have probably been the case if Pharaoh knew that that she was his wife, he would have killed Abram so he could have added Sarai to his harem. And and so Abram wants them to think um, he's Sarai's brother. I mean, folks, admit it. He's no dumb cookie. Abram is being shrewd. He, He is setting it up so the that the Egyptians will treat him well. So they'll spoil him and lavish him with gifts and they'll treat him like royalty. You know, we read all this and we're, we're disappointed in Abram, aren't we? But again, we're disappointed in ourselves too at times. We say we believe the promises of God, but then look at some of the stuff we do. Maybe we don't always believe God will help us. We got to do it ourselves. We got to scheme. We got to concoct our own plan. You know, we got to take matters into our own hands. Abram's also using Sarai. We do that sometimes too, don't we? We use others for our purposes. Pharaoh makes Abram a rich man. You know, in ancient times, wealth was often measured in terms of the amount of livestock that you possessed. He gives him female donkeys and camels. Female donkeys, apparently, from what I've read, were were more comfortable and easy to ride. They were the transportation of choice for the rich. And so, 
you know, Abram's got his Cadillacs now, his female donkeys. He's riding in style. And then camels, camels were sort of a novelty at this early point. They would soon become more commonplace, a mode of transportation, especially in, in desert climates. But at this point, they were kind of like novelty uh, items uh, for the rich. You know, the camel is kind of like the $95,000 classic car that a wealthy man has sitting in his garage. You know, he drives his Cadillac around town to work and back every day or something. But, and on special occasions, he takes this classic 57 Chevy or something out of his garage, drives it around. Folks, that's kind of what's going on here with all these animals that, that Abram's being given, these donkeys and camels and so forth. I mean, Abram's scheme seems to be working in a wonderful way. Have you ever come up with plans of your own? You didn't wait on God, you didn't pray, and you came up with plans of your own, and you started executing those plans, and man, it, it was going great. Going great for a while. On an extreme level, maybe I'm speaking to somebody who's having an affair, and you're scheming to Keep it covered up. And guess what? You've been successful so far. Or maybe you're breaking the law. Maybe in your taxes. You're scheming. You're concocting plans. And guess what? It's working. It's working. You know, the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. Maybe you're going your own way right now, so far so good. You're having fun. You're, you're getting everything you thought you'd get in your scheme or your plan. You know, it's kind of like the prodigal son in that faraway country. He had all those friends and he's got his dad's inheritance. And man, he's kicking it up. He's living in style. But then one day it all comes crashing in on him. You know, the Bible points out there is a payday someday. There's a payday coming. Fourth lesson here. Be assured that God disciplines his children in love to bring them back. God disciplines his children in love to bring them back. Look at everything that happens after verse 14. There's always a payday someday. Sin is maybe fun for a season and maybe even profitable, but seasons change. You know, the Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, this shall he also reap. But you know, this is also a story of God's grace, isn't it? God's grace doesn't let us stay in Egypt forever. We may forget about God, but God doesn't forget about us. We may let go of Him, but He doesn't let go of us. God has made promises to Abram, and He's going to carry out every single one of those promises. Abram's riding high for the moment, but there's only one problem. His wife has become a part of Pharaoh's household. 
Is any hanky-panky going on? I don't think it's come to that yet. But how's Abram going to get her back now? I mean, Moses would later appear before Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, let my people go. I don't think it's likely that Abram's going to be standing outside of Pharaoh's window saying, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my Sarah go. You know, how's he going to get her back? What's he going to do? His scheme has gone south. Our schemes do that, don't they? They go south on us. Then what? I mean, it all seemed like a good idea, but how's he going to get out of this mess now? Well, folks, God gets him out. God intervenes. Evidently, the plagues happened to everybody in Pharaoh's house except for Sarai. And so things become a little bit suspicious. We're not told all the details here, but Pharaoh finds out. Did God tell him? Uh, Did they question Sarai and she caved? We don't know, but Abram's plan is now coming unraveled. And Abram ends up leaving Egypt with his tail tucked between his legs. He's been humiliated and chastened by Pharaoh, an ungodly man, chastening the man of God for how the man of God has lied to him and schemed and acted. You say, well, well, Scott, uh, he leaves rich though. Abram leaves rich. Yeah, but think about his ill-gotten gain. Remember his nephew Lot? They all leave Egypt so wealthy that that. That Lot, uh, Abraham and Lot, they have so much, the land, when they get back to the promised land, it won't support them all. And so Abram says, look, you, you look whichever direction you want to go and let's separate that. We're, we're family. Let's don't fight about this. And so what does Lot do? Lot looks down towards that green, fertile area. Uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah area at the time, he looks down there and he wants to go that way. So he goes that way. How does things, how do things work out for Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah? His wife doesn't make it out of that place. Sure, he left Egypt sharing in Abram's riches. But look at what happens to Lot's family. And remember Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden? An Egyptian handmaid? Where do you think Sarah got her? While they were in Egypt. And the world is still paying for that one with all the hostilities going on between the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac. So yeah, he might be rich now from the hands of Pharaoh, but is it really worth it? Here's this giant. And he's stumbled. He's faltered in his faith. And now he's humiliated in the eyes of everyone. God has humbled him and disciplined him. And now he's on his way back for a second chance. We serve the God of the second chance. Amen. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a famous preacher of earlier years said that just as a coin has a heads and a tails, so every circumstance of life has a heads or a tails. Each circumstance of life on the one hand can draw you closer to God or on the other hand can drive you further from Him. 
The famine was a chance for Abram to draw closer to God. But instead, he ran. And now it takes God's discipline to get Abram back on course. You know, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says, God disciplines his children. Maybe you've gone through a time of trial and testing, concocted a scheme of your own, didn't wait on God, didn't pray, did your own thing. God is disciplining you, and his hand on you may be heavy, but guess what? That's part of his grace. Because you know what that signifies? You're one of his children. The writer of Hebrews says if you're without discipline, it's because you're an illegitimate child. You're not one of his children. Thank God that he disciplines us and gets us back to where we're supposed to be. I want to give you a few lessons in closing. I hope you'll write these down. Lesson number one, our faith is going to be tested. And tests are for our good. God is usually trying to get us to trust Him more and build some kind of character in us that, that He sees that we don't fully have right now and we need more of. And so He tests us to, 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 to grow us. Second lesson, it's important how we respond. Where did the downhill slide begin with Abram? It, it began with fear. Fear that God wouldn't provide for him during the famine. Fear led to compromise. Compromise led to sin and deceit. Folks, we dare not forget God and come up with schemes all of our own out of fear. When we do that, it might seem Good and expedient for the moment, but we're likely in the long run to end up paying a very high price. Third lesson. If God can create us, save us, and call us, He can certainly look after us. That's the promise Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at that that text a number of weeks ago where Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air, the lilies of the valley. Aren't you more valuable than they? And the lesson there was, if God has created your life, which he certainly has, you're made in his image, he's certainly able to look after your needs. If he's done the greater creating you, he can certainly sustain you and look after you. A fourth lesson, God will fulfill his promises to us. God had promised to raise up a nation through Abram and Sarah will be a part of that promise too. There was no way Pharaoh was going to end up with the upper hand and have Sarah, who was to be the mother of nations, as his wife. There was no way that was going to happen. God will fulfill his promises. And then a last lesson, when tested, we're not alone. We're not alone. Folks, who was Abram's seed that Paul in the book of Galatians speaks of? Seed in the singular. Who was that? 
Jesus. Was Jesus tested? Remember how after his baptism he was sent out into the wilderness? He was tested. And he passed the test. The writer of Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. And because he's been tested the way we're tested. When we're going through an experience like that. He will come alongside of us and give us the aid that we need. Amen. He's with us when we're tested and tried. So we don't need to turn to our own plans and schemes. Who we need to turn to is Jesus because he understands. Would you stand please? And I think that's the invitation for somebody here this morning right now. You're going through a time of testing and you're turning to other things. You need to turn to Christ. That test or trial you're going through, relinquish that over into, into Christ's hands. You know, the Bible says you can cast all your care upon Him for He cares for you. He really does. And you don't have to doubt that. He proved His love once and for all at Calvary's cross. Amen? He cares for you. In your time of testing or trial or your time of famine in some way, look to Christ. He'll help you through that time. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody this morning, you've never, turned, you've never looked to Christ. You don't even know what it's like to have someone beside you going through a test or a trial or a valley. Because you've, you've never surrendered your life to Christ. And I'm going to invite you to do that this morning. Step out of the uh, pew, wherever you are. Come down this aisle in a few moments and pray with a member of your pastoral staff.